1: Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories. I'm Jem Daduchu and this time round we're looking at the video game Overwatch. Which means not only am I going to be revealing how I've been wasting more than 500 hours of my life, but we must of course be looking at the Abyssinia crisis of 1935, the collapse of the League of Nations and the eventual rise of the United Nations. Let's get on with it, shall we? So, what is Overwatch? Well, Overwatch is a video game created by the studio Blizzard. Blizzard, if you don't know, they're a really interesting organisation. They don't make loads and loads of video games, like something like EA Sports, for example, or Ubisoft. They know what they're good at and they are best in class at what they do. They have brands, for example, like Diablo. So if you want some kind of dungeon crawler type thing as you desperately try and get those plus one purple pants is the nickname on on sort of like what they do. You're always looking for that extra bit of loot that gets you a little bit stronger and then you keep fighting and you basically, people go through Diablo again and again and again, currently on Diablo three. However, the one that almost everybody's heard of is World of Warcraft which evolved from the Warcraft strategy series, and there is a sci-fi version of that, which is called StarCraft. But to show you how they love doing what they do, and they do it really well, is the last time they came up with a new IP before you get to Overwatch, that was StarCraft in 1998. And then... Just a few decades later, as it were, in 2006, about a decade later, they decided to come up with a new massively multiplayer online game. After all, there'd been the smash hit of the world of Warcraft. Why don't we do it again? Only coming up with a completely new world to set it in. And that was called Codename Titan. And so they continued for just a few short seven years of development. This is the thing a lot of people don't realize about video games. Yes, there are some video game titans that come out every year. Things like F1 Racing, or FIFA, or Madden. Basically anything to do with sport, you're going to want to have the latest version of your team's kit or the latest version of the Ferrari car or what have you. But a lot of those changes are cosmetic year on year. Occasionally, there's a big leap forwards in terms of game technology or game mechanics, something like that. But when you get past the likes of your Call of Duties and things like that, most games take years to develop. And when they are rushed, you can tell them. For example, Assassin's Creed. There was a few years between Assassin's Creed 1 and Assassin's Creed 2. But by the time you're into the Assassin's Creed powerhouse, then you get to something like Assassin's Creed Unity, which was set in the French Revolution. And it's a mess. It was a buggy, almost unplayable mess because it got rushed out and it hadn't been properly tested. So, this is where we stand. Last year, Astero acquired the body of a man we call a Sage, one of a rare breed of humans with a surplus of ancient DNA. But when you get to somebody like Blizzard, they will hold on to something until they are satisfied it's ready to go. They're kind of perfectionists. And to prove this, I'm going to tell you what happened to Titan. And why on earth have you not mentioned Overwatch, Gem? Because after seven years of development, after spending millions of pounds on, or dollars, I should say, in terms of trying to create this brand new game, they scrapped it. They said, this is not working. This is not going in the direction we want. This is not blizzardy enough. We're canning it so it was trashed but a small group of 40 people were left with the ashes the sort of the basic frameworks the basic concepts and they were told look we've got this big pile of stuff it doesn't work in its current form can you beat it into something else and it is from that point, from 2013 to 2016, so in three years, they managed to turn this mess of a multiplayer online interactive roleplay game into Overwatch. Which, people always turn around, that's not the first one or whatever and blah-de-blah, and you got, yes, Team Fortress 2, but it's like Facebook isn't the first bit of social media... But it's the one that really brought that way of doing social media to the forefront and is why it has more than two billion users today. And what Overwatch basically brought to the forefront was this concept of the hero shooter. What's that mean? Well, if we go back to I've already mentioned it there once. Call of Duty. Your actual character is irrelevant what you're interested in in these sort of military games is the guns the guns if you like are the heroes do i want a sniper's rifle do i want an assault rifle do i want a heavy machine gun all these sorts of things change how you play the game and what overwatch is is the weapons that your character have never change you can't enhance them upgrade them or anything like that but each hero each character and you can play any character you want although the limitation is you can only have one of those characters on your team at any given point but each character is staggeringly different to prove i know what i'm talking about let me tell you about my main the one i've been playing since the very beginning although i do have some other ones i really like one of my favorites is Junkrat. who's Junkrat? imagine the joker from batman Who's an explosives expert? He's an Australian guy, and he's laughing all the time, and he's kind of crazy. And what does he have as equipment and special abilities? Okay, well, he's got, like, a mine. You can throw on the floor and detonate. But if you're standing on it, it doesn't cause you any damage, and you can fly up into the air. So you can get onto ledges and things like that. And he's got this sort of grenade launcher, and they fire out in an arc. They don't fire up, they don't fire in a straight line, and they bounce everywhere. So they're great for causing large amounts of damage if you're up close to somebody, and you can sort of defend areas quite well as you're sort of pouring out all these grenades. And also, there's a mine around the corners so as they run past you to get past the shower of grenades. You blow them up with the with the mine. You've also got a big, man trap which you can trap them obviously the perfect combination there is you trap somebody and there was already a mine there as well and then you just blow them up That's very fun when that happens. And when Junkrat dies, don't stand too close to him because he goes down in a blaze of his own explosives. And the amount of times that happens to people, you can just tell that they are very, very angry with you. And indeed, when you respawn, Junkrat says, I love that when that happens. Obviously, in an Australian accent. And then every character, when they do enough sort of like stuff they get a special move. They got a sort of special moment, which is extremely devastating. And in the case of Junkrat, he gets out this tire with spikes on it around the edges. And in the middle, there's a remote control and some explosives. And then you basically guide this wheel around. It makes this big, revvy noise, and everyone gets terrified, because if that thing comes around the corner and detonates in your face, you're gone. There's no chance, even if you're somebody with loads and loads of health. In the case of Junkrat, he's got average amount of health, which is 200 points worth of health, okay? So there's an example of one kind of hero character. Now, I will tell you about my second main, and I'm only just two hours behind Junkrat with this one, Moira. Moira is an example of a healer, but she's kind of an evil healer. So with one hand, she can spray out healing. So I could stand behind Junkrat, and as he's being shot, I can sort of heal some of that energy by spraying it out to them. But I've only got a certain amount of the spray. However, with her other hand, I can drain energy, so I can actually hurt things, and as I'm draining energy my health spray is going back up again. So it's almost like I suck it out of you, and I pour it back into one of my allies. And I can also fire off a big orb of either healing or damage, and if you throw it into a room, particularly if it's damaged, there's a whole bunch of enemies there, it's probably not enough to kill them, but it's enough to chip down their damage so that when Junkrat runs in, or, or somebody else runs in, they're already half down on their damage, so they're pretty easy to kill. And the whole point of over Overwatch is working together in a team if you try and be that lone gunman I'm sure you'll kill somebody but you will probably lose the round because you got to work together as a team. You need your healers to keep your attackers alive. You probably need something like a tank. That's a term, of phrase. So something with lots of hit rate, which causes lots of damage, but probably quite slow moving or a very large target. And so there are loads and loads and loads of these characters, all incredibly different. There's Sumetra, an Indian woman who can throw out little laser turrets everywhere and set up a teleporter to whiz you around the board. There's, let's see, Genji, how do you, like a cyborg ninja sounds pretty cool there's reinhard who is this big german guy in this suit of armor who has this massive energy shield so that you can stand behind you can shoot through it but they can't shoot you through it really really useful And he's got a massive hammer so if you get close to him he will smack you down and it goes on and on and on. You know, there's a hacker. There's this sort of mutant guy called Roadhog, one of my kids' favourites. And you never see his face. He's always behind a mask. He's got a big fat belly and he's got a hook that can drag you towards him. And then he's got this shotgun that can just sort of take you down. If any of this is sounding, well, you let your kids play this? It's all done with beautiful colour. There isn't blood drenched everywhere. It's It's an incredibly joyous game. And it's all about teamwork as well. So when somebody described it simply as Pixar goes to war. I think that's a really good description of the tone, if you like, of Overwatch. But look, I'm aware that this is part one, and I've already been talking an awful lot about the game. I'm sure we'll come back to that, but let's get into a little bit of history, because what is any Gem, you're insane. What's any of this got to do with things like the League of Nations and the United Nations? Well, I can answer that because what Overwatch is, the law, L-O-R-E, behind it all is they're an international organization of peacekeepers trying to sort of fight against inequity and, and things like that. So, as I said perhaps more about that in in part two but this idea of a multinational universally agreed and ratified global peacekeeping force is something that was born of the 20th century for very good reasons so world war one absolutely wasn't the first world war i know that sounds insane but The Napoleonic Wars. I mean, what is your definition of a world war? Because clearly in neither World War I or World War II were all countries involved. For example, Turkey was neutral in World War II, although the Ottoman Empire was in World War I. But in World War I, you didn't have Brazil, but they were involved in World War II. Switzerland's been neutral at all times in World Wars. You get the idea. So... Is it the fact that there was fighting on multiple continents against multiple different sides? Then it's very easy to say that the Napoleonic Wars were a world war. Don't believe me? There was fighting on the continent of Africa, in the Middle East... Napoleon went as far as Moscow, sound familiar for those of you who like World War II. There was fighting in the Atlantic Ocean and indeed the American War of 1812. Long story there, not going to go into it now, but America in a way at least took advantage of Britain being distracted by the Napoleonic Wars. It could be also argued that, you know, they were sort of unofficial allies at one point to Napoleon. But yes, you got fighting in in America as well, sort of linked to the overarching Napoleonic conflict. So that was so the Napoleonic Wars, the Seven Years' War in the middle of the 1700s. That was absolutely another world war where you got fighting again: North America, Europe, the Middle East a little bit, then it goes into the Pacific and also in India as well. It's absolutely a global conflict. The Caribbean too. So, okay, there've been multiple wars where, yeah, you know, over stretched across entire continents, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the thing about World War I was this was the first time you had the world powers at their mechanized prime slamming into each other. Now, World War II was to have more death than World War I. But the sheer horror of things like tanks, hydraulic artillery chemical weapons. World War One, in terms of damage to the countries it was fought in, was actually relatively low, particularly if you're going to compare it to something like the Napoleonic Wars. Because it it became fossilized at things like the Western Front, or indeed in Gallipoli. So you didn't have countries completely ravaged by all these roaming armies. All the armies were in the same place. But machine guns and you know people dying by their tens of thousands sometimes in in just one day was enough to give everybody a pause for thought. And so by January 1920, there was an agreement between pretty much all the major players of World War I and beyond to say, look, before we allow these things to spiral out of control again, maybe we should have an agreement about perhaps settling this at an international level court of laws too strong a word but at like at an international level at a conference or something like that and so the league of nations was created in an attempt to try and stop anything like world war 1 happening again an incredibly noble idea i'm sure we can all agree but if you've got half a brain you pay the slightest bit of attention to the world around us today you'll realize that the united nations exists and that doesn't exactly get things right all the time and there can be no doubt that if the league of nations which was the first stab at this idea was born of a a war at a time when countries still had empires like the british empire for example then yeah it was a noble idea that was fundamentally flawed and you do genuinely get echoes of this in overwatch as well by the time you're playing the game overwatch has been disbanded it has failed in terms of what its concept was much like the league of nations
0: one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes
1: nice dress uh it's a
0: it's a t-shirt until you tried it on same goes for your healthcare.
1: But what led to the League of Nations collapsing was empire. You cannot have... Countries understanding the concept of empire at the same time as trying to defend nations' rights. Those two things are mutually exclusive. And really what it took us was World War II to get everybody to agree that nobody should be building empires anymore. Fundamentally, they're a bad thing. But after World War I, well, when the German Empire was dismantled, you didn't get a load of independent countries Their territories were given to France and Britain. So some people, like Uganda, swapped one overlord to another overlord. Both of them white and nothing to do with Uganda. Because Overwatch is an international organization trying to be a peacekeeping force for the world, that is very much like the concepts of the League of Nations and the United Nations. Now, those two bodies sound very similar. And there's a reason for that. It's because they were, in essence... The same concept, not necessarily the same organization, but the same concept before and after World War Two League of Nations was created after World War One. But the two things that showed its fundamental shortcomings were two attempts to build empires against the will and the concepts of the League of Nations. The first one happened in 1933. Uh, sometimes referred to as the Manchurian crisis and the second one happened in 1935 which is called the Abyssinian crisis what these two crises are about is countries invading other countries and saying i'm going to have that and the idea was that the league of nations should talk about these things to avoid wars but the problem is in sort of standard human motivation if i can get away with taking it i'll take it take what you can give nothing back now the manchuria one was china from the mid 1800s to the mid 1900s that century is referred to in chinese history as the century of humiliation because china again and again got invaded and the old imperial system collapsed it collapsed just at the turn of the 20th century really so that by the time you got the era of the league of nations you get a territory, a massive chunk of modern-day China called Manchuria. This is in the northeast of modern-day China, a relatively industrial area, or at least was sort of like in the first half of the 20th century. It was a key part of China, as opposed to like you know, agricultural heartlands and things like that. And there was an easy jumping-off point to them because Manchuria has a coastline. It also borders places like Russia and Korea, so. It was always aware of external influences. And indeed, if you go back a thousand years, Manchuria was always seen as the the barbarian bit of China. And a number of Chinese emperors ended up hailing from there. But when they took power, they did it through force. So you can argue whether Manchuria is a true part of China or not, if you look at its history. But today it's absolutely part of China and it's full of Han Chinese. So yes, it's China. But the point is, there was a time when it was kind of seen on the fringes or it's where the barbarians come from but by the 1930s there's no doubt that it was absolutely part of the country of china but japan invaded Japan, from the late 1800s onwards, was keen on building its own empire. At the turn of the 20th century, there was to be the Russo-Japanese War, the first time an Asian power was to defeat a Western empire, and the, most of that fighting was actually on the high seas. And so you've got a modern, you know, from the point of view of 1900s, modern steamships, battleships, cruisers, things like that, on both the Russian side and the Japanese side, and their Japanese one now this is a generation later but this is showing you how militarized japan was by the 1930s and their invasion of manchuria was a clear breach of league of nation guidelines and it led to some horrific atrocities like for example the rape of nanking or nanjing as it sometimes referred to it was a horrific attack on civilian population it was awful and terrible and famously there's even footage of this Sort of famously, you have the Japanese representative of the League of Nations just storming out, refusing to answer questions because, let's face it, they know they're wrong. But, hey, we're winning the war. Why should we listen to these people just talking at cabinet meetings? So that was the first body blow to the League of Nations. It couldn't solve the invasion of China. But, please, this is not Jem's opinion. This would be the opinion of people in the 20th century china japan that's asia that's not the really important bit like you know europe so maybe just maybe the league of nations could survive until we get pretty much exactly the same thing with in 1935 You get Benito Mussolini, you know, the fascist that Hitler looked up to until Hitler did it better than Mussolini. So yeah, don't like Mussolini. Sidebar on that one, I also have a personal enmity towards Benito Mussolini because he's referred to sometimes as El Duce, which means the leader in Italian. So I get some people going, oh, DiDuccio, that's like El Duce. No, no, I'm not a fat Italian dictator. Don't start comparing my family name with the horrific individual. Hey, I think you can tell that's going to insult me, okay? Fine. Have very day. <laughs> i so insulted. So anyway, you then get the Italian invasion of Abyssinia, modern-day Ethiopia, and Hali Selassie, the emperor or king of Ethiopia, goes and asks for assistance at the League of Nations. And once again, the League just is incapable of solving this situation, which leads to the conclusion that, quite frankly, the League of Nations is not fit for purpose. If all it's going to do is tut-tut from the sidelines, what's the point? And so the League of Nations in all but name crumbles in 1935. And funnily enough, it's only a matter of years before we get things like obviously the rise of Hitler, but things like, you know, the annexation of Austria and various Czech border areas. And of course, then ultimately the invasion of Poland in 1939. September 1939. The German foe begins its ruthless march of conquest and sets the stage for World War Two. Poland's 34 million inhabitants, crushed, scattered, and enslaved. There was no League of Nations by then to object against this. But then again, they'd already proven that they couldn't stop an invasion of a sovereign state. Then we have the single most destructive and bloodiest war in human history. That's what World War II is. But again, even in World War II, there was a, a hunger for like, well, what happens during peacetime? And does anybody really want to see this again? And interestingly, between the Allied powers, including Joseph Stalin, this is a man who ordered more murders and whose orders killed more people than Hitler, okay? The Ukrainian grain famine of the 1930s, which has been very much forgotten about in anywhere other than the Ukraine, and indeed Russia tries to play it down, it's estimated that more than a million people starved to death as their grain was exported forcibly out of their country. To other parts of the Soviet Union or even just sold abroad so that the Soviet Union could get hard currency. So even Joseph Stalin recognized that there might actually be a need for some kind of international peacekeeper or referee after this incredibly bloody war. Although it is worth pointing out that when he was making these decisions, Russia wasn't doing very well in World War II. We probably had a different angle by the summer of 1945. But that's conjecture, everybody. But there can be no doubt that in 1945, in San Francisco, you get the first meeting of people, first conference, that was to become the United Nations. But then... And I love this fact. The actual first meeting of the United Nations was not in that famous building in New York City, but actually at the Methodist Hall in London. That is the site of the first United Nations meeting. But it was agreed that a part of New York City would be handed over, and indeed, if you are to ever visit the United Nations building in America, while you're in there, that is technically international territory, because it can't really be anybody's. And I happen to know that New York City police officers, they do actually have to take special courses on this, because unlike, let's say, a Chicago police officer, everywhere in Chicago is is American and Chicago. But if you were to chase a criminal from New York City into the United Nations building, that could technically cause a diplomatic incident. However, that building was started in 1948, wasn't completed till 1952, and it was during that time that we get the only war fought by the United Nations. There is something called the Security Council in the United Nations. This is basically the top most important countries in the world, and it's the perfect if you like, situation to remedy the League of Nations, because these are the big boys. Basically, it's all the nuclear powers. There's always a rotating one nowadays, so there's always another country involved. But to this day, you will have America, Britain, Russia, China, and I think France is there as well. Now, you might be going, Britain, that's a bit anachronistic. Yeah, but we got nukes, so you kind of want us on board as well. (laughs) But you could also argue that it's a lingering hangover from when the United Nations was, was, was formally set up. If the United Nations is going to go to war, if just one of those countries vetoes it, then it doesn't happen. And what happened was that in 1950... China was not part of the Security Council, and Russia at the time was basically having a hissy fit. It was still under Joseph Stalin. So they didn't veto it when the UN voted to protect South Korea from an invasion from North Korea. The North Korea, Sorry, the Korean War was a United Nations War. People fought under the banner of the UN rather than their own countries. And this is a weird situation where, yes, of course, the vast majority of the forces were American, but you had Brits fighting by their sides, Canadians, Turks, French. When you look at the list of countries involved in something that should be just a civil war, it's remarkable how many different countries were involved in the Korean War. And it was the only time that the United Nations actually went to war because everybody agreed fundamentally, with the exception for the people who just refused to vote at all, that North Korea clearly had infringed in this situation. And if you like, North Korea had overplayed its hand. Yes, China had recently won its own civil war, but it was fundamentally a civil war. But by now, the West was worried about the spread of communism and just generally everybody was tired of war. So North Korea starting yet another war for not very good reasons led to an awful lot of sympathy to the south of the Korean Peninsula. And in a way, there's a little echo between South Korea and South Vietnam during the Vietnam War in the sense that South Korea at that time was definitely not a democracy. It was a dictatorship, much like Vietnam was in in the 60s as well. But at least this dictator hadn't started a war. And what happened was that the Korean War... It just came out of nowhere. Nobody was prepared for this thing whatsoever. And so Japan that had been reeling from World War II, what turns Japan into the powerhouse, economic powerhouse, technical powerhouse it is today? The answer is the Korean War. America badly needed some kind of friendly base, some kind of logistics center near Korea that they could use. And the answer was Japan. And that's when loads of renovation, loads of money was pumped into Japan. And so the Korean War lasts for three years and ultimately ends up in a stalemate along the border. And a ceasefire was signed in the early 1950s. And to this day, no actual peace treaty has been signed. So I guess you can understand why the North's a little bit twitchy about that. Because if, if America and South Korea genuinely want to be peaceful neighbours, why don't you sign a peace treaty? But also it's fair fair to say that North Korea is going to be asking for an awful lot and nobody's in the mood for that. So we have this uneasy, not so much stalemate, but just this uneasy lack of trust. The most heavily fortified place in the world is the border between North and South Korea. There's more than a million landmines there put down before landmines were illegal but nobody's thought to dig them up again so the whole korean war was actually the result of the united nations let's take it back to the world of overwatch so this is a first person shooter you run around shooting things and actually there is very little lore law in the actual game, unless you sort of go into the menus, when you start seeing things like the outfits of so the different, you can put your heroes into different types of outfits, and sometimes beside it, it'll say, you know, this person was in this situation. And also, there can be wonderful contextual things. Like, basically, there's this sort of like sort of scrapyard junk kingdom in the center of Australia that Junkrat had been exiled from. And so when he arrives again, you get the queen of this area. It's ruled by a woman shouting at you. I can't believe you're back here again. So you recognize, okay. so he was there previously and he's sort of been an exile. Just an audio file that happens there. And you get this all the time. And sometimes the actual characters interact with each other before the mission starts. You're sort of standing around waiting for it to go. And sometimes they'll just you haven't pushed any buttons. They'll just suddenly talk to each other. And you realize, oh, okay. So, for example, there's like a a robot Buddhist monk called Zenye and do you remember i mentioned a cyborg ninja well he used to train the cyborg ninja so you get this sort of like it's good to see you again i have learned much from you my old master so just from the contextual environmental reactions you can find out a few things but on top of that blizzard has some amazing cinematic animations that you can get all of them on youtube for free you can watch them now finish the podcast first but What I wanted to say is that with these particular way of doing it, you get these beautiful moments. Like you find out Mei, this sort of Chinese woman who can fire ice crystals at people, and you find out she was on an Antarctic station for Overwatch. She got cut off from everybody else. It's a really sweet story. There's absolutely no violence in it. Then there's the the one that almost most people think is best is The Last Bastion, because what Overwatch was set up to do was fight the Omnics, which are basically robots. There's basically all these robots trying to create a, a robot up rising, and so Overwatch is running around all over the place. What ultimately undoes Overwatch is they have Blackwatch, which is kind of like their black ops group, and they get caught a few times, and then suddenly the the tarnished, you know, the image is tarnished, and so they sort of like go their separate ways. So I mentioned Moira, for example, she was a member of Blackwatch, and she's sort of one of the, in, in essence, the bad guys. And so this Omnic uprising is happening, and they're trying to put it down with this international task force of Overwatchers, yeah, and you get that. So you get that for, and the some of the Omnics, some of the rogue bad robots uh, some of them are called bastions and you can play bastion in the game but anyway there's this wonderful scene where the bastion wakes up in a forest and it's sort of covered in grass and then it starts remembering that it used to be part of a battle and it starts heading towards the city it was meant to fight and you know years have passed so it shouldn't go there it's just going to kill innocent people but but in the meantime, it finds this bird. It's kind of like E.T. E.T. meets the Terminator. And what you want is Bastion to understand that it doesn't need to fight anymore. But will it do that? I mean, this is all done in about five minutes with actually no noise. Uh, sorry, not no noise, but no, there's no word spoken. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece of animation. I want more of them. If you lis- ever listen to this Blizzard, I want more of them. And also people want Netflix to do like a an Overwatch animated series. That would be awesome. Do that. Do that now, okay? But there are free online comics, so you can find out more about the characters. Tracer, who's literally the girl on the front cover, she's gay. Symmetra, I've already mentioned her, she's an Indian woman. She's got autism, so it's an incredibly inclusive positive message with this this series anybody can be a hero there's sort of somebody you can always relate to at least half the characters are female and you know I know loads of guys who goes well I like playing Farah, who is an Egyptian woman who has this sort of jet packs and has a rocket launcher okay she's amazing but you know guys will happily play girls I've mentioned Moira for example some are even animals I'm very partial to Hammond or Wrecking Ball as he's called that's a, a g- genetically altered hamster that has this giant huge steel ball that and sometimes stick out guns. It's crazy. There's also Winston, who's a gorilla, super intelligent gorilla. There are animals, there's men, there's women, there's people who perhaps aren't normally recognized in sort of mainstream video games, uh, people with health issues. There's older people as well, Soldier 76, who is now an old man, and Anna, who is the mother of Farah. And what's great in that one is she's a sniper, but she snipes health rather than bullets and if she ever puts Farah down she'll you quite often say things like time to go to sleep dear it's it's lovely it's nice anyway overwatch is available in pretty much all formats pc playstation xbox etc the basic game nowadays probably only about 20 pounds and it gets loads of free updates because yes there are loot boxes there but they don't give you any advantage or anything like that and you can get loot boxes anyway or you can get new skins new new ways to dress up your character and you can pay for them if you want to but you could just keep playing the game and sort of eventually get enough internal credits for it it's incredibly fair and blizzard is still supporting it and it's just a great example of what a good video game's like and as it's just online there are no levels to play you're never really playing against the computer you're always playing with people and against people any round takes maybe 10 minutes so it's a great dip in and out of game and it's classic thing sign of a great game is it's very easy to understand how to play it it's very hard to master it. And indeed, on that point, it's worth saying there's even an Overwatch League where, you know, eSports, you you know, there are entire teams. I'm a big fan of London Spitfire. They won the first championship in 2018. I've even got a London Spitfire T-shirt. I've got to dig that up somewhere. That costs quite a lot. But hey, I'm supporting a game I genuinely love and have been playing for over 500 hours. Sorry about that. And I just wanted to say at this point, please, please do try and support us if you can. Don't forget to click subscribe. Don't forget to click download. Give us a review on whatever podcast app you're listening to. Uh, Just a quick review helps us spread the word. And maybe, do you know what? Tell an actual friend. Say, I really like this. You'll like it too. That really helps us. Thank you so much for listening. There'll be a new podcast coming out pretty soon. Hopefully, speak to you soon.